Welcome to the Making Marketing Simple podcast, the no BS, straight talking business podcast for rockstar female business owners in the wedding industry. I'm your host, Rach McQuaid, marketing mentor and coach. Inside these episodes, I'll be sharing fundamental tools, tips, and marketing techniques in my trademark no BS way, so you can get straight to the juicy action taken that is going to attract and sign your dreamy premium clients with ease and support you in having a whale of a time along the way. Okay, so I'm here with the lovely Anita from Lush Bloom's Bespoke Floristry. Anita, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello. Uh, well, I'm based in Cardiff. I've lived here about 10 years now and I'm a florist and I have been for, well, full time about three years and it was a hobby for about two years before that. Um, I live with my husband and two Frenchies and I'm originally from Pembrokeshire so I'm back there a lot for weddings and events and stuff like that and yeah I've been working with Rachel for a couple of years now and I 100% wouldn't be where I am <laughs> otherwise. Oh. <laughs> um, we've recently opened up a retail space as well which has been super exciting and so so different to all the other ways that I've sort of worked up till now and the things I've sold and the way I've marketed so it's been really really interesting to take all that on board and look over the data Um, and even though I am a creative I think because of my financial background I am still looking at like facts figures data what can we change what can we tweak Um, so yeah that's that's kind of it really yeah there's it's so interesting to see how you've built your business because obviously like you said we've been talking and and working together for I think it's like two years now and your brand has just evolved and evolved and evolved and like each time like each year or every couple of months there's just a new arm that you add to it and now we always say it's like an octopus now it's like there's just so many things that you do and it's I think to call yourself a florist is like underselling it completely because there's so many other things that you do and obviously it all connects back to floristry but there's so many different things you do like you said you've got your retail space you've got you know the workshops and the the flower school that you do as well like teaching other florists and there's so many different things that you do and so it's been it's been really interesting to see your brand evolve over the last couple of years and to just kind of see all of those different things and it's all happened so organically as well hasn't it it's not been kind of a a conscious decision of right this is what I'm going to do next these things have kind of just presented themselves to you haven't they yeah and there are some things I, I've sort of thought oh I've, I've got an inkling that this might be a good fit for me now and some things bring you know they present themselves to you and you think oh that's not the right time or it just doesn't appeal to you um, yeah. and the retail space is a really good example of that because I could have got a retail space at any time but it was only when I saw good sheds and I happened to be down there I thought oh my gosh it's like it sparked something in you and that's yeah. what all the arms of my business have developed from is that little spark I haven't I don't get me wrong there's things I've tried and I've thought that's not right for me I'm going to put it back down yeah. um but it's a that balance as well of giving stuff enough time to work and to know if they're going to be viable and not having kind of like shiny object syndrome where you think oh, I'm going to try this this week or I'm going to try selling this this week you need to give things enough time to see if they're going to float or not and yeah. 
um chalk it up to experience learn from it and move on um yeah. I've I've still I think people look at me um and they think I'm an overnight success firstly <laughs> um and secondly that I never fail at anything and I fail every day I try plenty of stuff that doesn't work that doesn't get off the ground um I try collabs that aren't successful you know John Lewis going in John Lewis and doing a pop-up that Christmas yeah. that was a massive learning curve um at the time it didn't feel like it I just felt like a weight a waste of like a week of my life yeah. but it's one of the biggest learning experiences I've ever had and that tiny bit of experience gave me enough bravery to know that I could open a retail space and what it would what I want it to look like and feel like and be like so yeah, yeah it's all it, it's all kind of intertwined in that way yeah, and I think the, the best thing that you've kind of adapted and, and taken on is almost like just trusting the timing of when things come through, because I think what what's made you really successful in what you do is you do have this kind of gut instinct and intuition that you're like, OK, this feels good. But then you also have this kind of common sense side that kicks in as well. Like, OK, let's look at this logically for a second and you know good sheds was exactly the same we jumped on a call and we were like right this sounds really exciting and we were both just as excited as each other and we were kind of like right let's just take a step back and and think about this logically because it is quite easy to get caught up in that shiny object syndrome like you said and to think oh I'll try this and I'll try this and actually sometimes you do have to go with that instinct but you also have to have that that common sense business head on to think is this going to work or is it just a cool thing to do and I think that's where you know the things that you have taken on and and the way that you have grown your brand and your business has been really successful because you've had that balance and would you say that comes from your corporate background or is that just you as as a person um it's probably I, I don't know whether I can say it's a bit of both because I kind of feel like I don't know who I was work-wise before my corporate career because I was there for almost 10 years before that I was in university so it was pretty much my first serious job after university and I was you know obviously 10 or so years younger <laughs> and I think it molded me into that um into the working environment and there were lots of there are lots of things I've had to unlearn but also being surrounded by these kind of high vibe you know millionaire men and watching them take risks or watching them not take risks watching them assess what's going to be worthwhile watching them um you know go through what's not going to be worthwhile um watching them take calculated risks and how they get to that conclusion of yeah. what will this look like if we commit or if we take the risk or take the leap um and with no emotion because <laughs> men don't really do that whole am I making the right decision back and yeah. forth because I think they know that the time you waste in dealing with that can just set you back even further so yeah, yeah it is probably mostly because of my corporate finance background um because when I started with my company they was they grew from small to medium size and then by the time I left they were going they're on the cusp of being classed as a large company um watching that growth from like grassroots level um was so so useful and just dealing with other 
business people learning how to be professional and learning how to keep things professional you know in your correspondence in your emails in dealing with unhappy people I think was the best training ever for what I do now yeah it's so funny isn't it because I think well I don't know about you but when I was working in corporate I was like I can't wait to get out I can't wait to I always kind of had this feeling that I was just meant to be self-employed like I was meant to work for myself I was meant to kind of do my own thing and it was almost like the corporate jobs that I was in were almost like a necessary evil to get to that stage but actually now I've come away from that and now looking back on the corporate roles that I've had I'm so grateful to them because like you said you you pick up things and and you learn things that you never would have learned if you hadn't done that you know like you said sort of like seeing the the way people make decisions and I learned so much about money mindset from my first proper job <laughs> I like to call my first proper job um that at the time I didn't even realize that was what it was called like seeing how people made decisions and seeing how people kind of conducted themselves and stuff you you sort of just absorb it don't you and I I very much to say that I didn't go to university but I, I sort of left school and went straight into a corporate career so I don't really know who it would have been if I'd gone from school into self-employment. Like you said, you don't really know whether it's it's you or whether it's the job. But somewhere in between, you kind of merge, and the things that you learn just just kind of form the person. Like you want to step a big jump from kind of finance into a creative business and and doing this full time. So, what do you feel like? made that that step for you um well I'd been in my job a good number of years it was very unusual as well for women to be on the sales side of the environment because it was just very kind of ruthless fast-paced stressful um and I've always been creative and had creative hobbies and learned different sort of crafts and stuff like that and that really balanced out all that kind of high frequency brain work and then my sister got into floristry because she's very much the same she's a creative and tries different hobbies and she said oh come with me to you know a wreath workshop a flower crown workshop will you come with me to flower school which um was a whole weekend long and it was quite intensive I remember getting there and just feeling overwhelmed thinking oh my gosh I just came for a laugh um and this is really serious like all these people want to be florists and have their own businesses I I think I'm in the wrong place which is quite funny and I just took to everything so well and I enjoyed it so much and it was like it just gave me the bug um yeah you know to the point where the guy tutoring us was like have you done any floristry work before and I said no and he was like I I can't I don't believe you (laughs) um and I was like but it just gave me the bug and I started practicing went to lots more workshops and just learned as much as I could in any way I could um and it was my hobby then for about two years um my nan got sick and passed away and she was very much she was an entrepreneur she retired but then started doing markets and selling jams and foods and all the other things she made and she was just amazing she was still very young I think she was 65 um which she was still you know when you think oh you know my nan's passed away your immediate thought is someone old and frail but she so wasn't um and she was only ill for about a year which went really fast wow yeah. um and I just remember thinking oh she's gonna get better she'll have some treatment and she'll get better but um it just she went downhill very 
fast and then when she passed away I remember going back into the office and just looking around and thinking is this it is this life mm. you know do we just come yeah. here nine to five every day and then go home and that's it is this all there is yeah um and that's when I set up my business because I just thought I need more and I need something for me and I need something creative where I follow what I love and I follow my passion and it was very slow to start with you know I was doing like one bouquet order a week because I was still working full-time so it was only ever meant to be like a little sideline and I remember my boss saying I hope you don't get too successful (laughs) because he knew I'd leave and and I and I laughed but this little voice in my head said I hope I do because yeah that's I feel like I kind of manifested it in that way without knowing what manifestation was back then um and then lockdown happened and I was looking for ways to leave my job anyway I was looking at going into surveying or just something different because I was so burnt out I didn't know what burnout was either I was just like what is wrong with me that I need a break all the time Uh, what is wrong with me that I struggle so much with day-to-day tasks and getting in a rhythm and um, just working through my to-do list and it was all burnout I didn't know that's what it was called the work that we did was so intensive because we worked with private lenders and investors and all that sort of stuff um, and then I got furloughed and I said to my boss can I sell bouquets or I'm gonna lose my mind because I had to get his permission and it just skyrocketed because it was the only thing you could really order online and buy and have delivered then and yeah. me and my husband I'd put them together in the morning and we'd deliver like seven or eight every day around Cardiff. We were absolutely flat out every day, which I think was good for both of us. Yeah. We kept busy. And then July, August came round, and my boss said, we're going to start bringing you all back in shifts. And I just thought, oh my God, I don't want to go back. I cannot. This is it now. I've had a taste of freedom. I've had, I've had a taste of, of a life that's so different. And I never, ever would have, if you just said to me, do you think you'd like to be self-employed one day? I'd have been like, hell no, I'd be rubbish at it. I'd be, you know, I'd get nothing done. I wouldn't be motivated. I'd make no money. But the opposite has happened. So I never went back. I had a chat with my boss and he was like, I, I don't think you should come back either, which is probably quite telling. <laughs> um, and it was nice to go with his like blessing then. And yeah, I bet. no bad feelings. And that was it. I left. I was full time. I had no plan, no business plan. I had savings. It wasn't the sort of job you could do where you could um, like drop down your hours slowly. It was so all or nothing. Um, yeah. So if anyone's considering it, if you are in one of those jobs where you can drop your hours down first while you make that transition, it's definitely a good move. But yeah. for me, it was all or nothing. Um, it had to be. And I don't think because failure just was not an option. I don't know if I'd be as successful as I am if I if I hadn't have because I had to leave cold turkey yeah I I think that drove me like nothing I had to run up to my business some people walk up to their business some people jog up to it I had to run up to it I had no choice this was it this was the only way I could pay the bills and survive and and make a good life and I was even sad at first thinking oh gosh I'm never gonna earn that money that I used to earn in finance like my 35 grand a year or whatever but the funny thing is I've made that already this year and we're not even halfway through (laughs) so it's just it's a limit I I learned then what limiting belief what what that meant and what that was and what that looked like because that's what I had I thought oh I've I've literally swapped you know, a really good 
steady job for a minimum wage job and I I just it's just indescribable the how many misconceptions I had that just weren't true and I just had to find that out as I've as I've been going along yeah it's it's funny isn't it I feel like you know when you said that around um like being self-employed and like can I do this and I think there's it is almost like a sink or swim isn't it it's it's like a being self-employed isn't for everybody like I know for a fact Sam my partner there's no way he could be self-employed there's no way he could work from home like he's always worked with his hands he's always been very much like he's a social person so he feeds off other people's energy and stuff and for him to be self-employed he would flounder and he would stress and it just would not be for him whereas for me the freedom that it gives me I just could not go back to being employed now and I'm sure you're the same it's it is just a whole new world but I think there's so much mindset work that comes with that that when you first take it on and you take that leap you've got no idea of what mindset even is like you said you didn't know what burnout was you didn't know what like imposter syndrome was all these things that now are so unfortunately so familiar to us that you just think yeah I'll do this I'll, I'll give this a go and then you sort of think oh I actually have to work at this and kind of train my brain almost to to be okay with this and you know it's I I find a lot of my clients come to me and say like this they struggle with the inconsistency of income especially in the wedding industry like sometimes it can be very much feast and famine and it's difficult but I think the mindset work behind that really is 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 the foundation and I know that stuff that that's a lot of the stuff that you've worked on and that's kind of I'm sure you would attribute a lot of the success that you've had towards the mindset work that you've done because without it I just feel like we would just crumble eventually. Yeah definitely it's it's funny because when I worked in finance it wasn't a job I just fell into it and then it took me nearly 10 years to fall back out but um, I love I, I so love what I do now and I do mindset work every day and it's just such a funny contrast that I was in a job that I didn't really think much of. And we never, you know, we never did any kind of corporate, like skill building, team building, no mindset work whatsoever. Um, yeah. And I think the, the difference might be that it was predominantly a male environment. So the one thing, I mean, the income being not feast and famine, but the the peaks and troughs I was very used to because my old finance job it was we were like finance brokers so one month you'd earn more than you'd ever have in your whole career and then the next month you'd have your basic only and that was it so yeah it was very much that was something thankfully that I was used to and I think as long as you have a baseline of what you're happy to earn and you hit that you know that's it's a standard that you set for yourself but now that I'm self-employed there's so many things I have in place that I wasn't that I couldn't have as an employed person like I give myself a pay rise every quarter because as every quarter goes on you're becoming more experienced than ever before um and that always I mean I didn't do it at first I didn't pay myself anything regularly I would just pay myself whatever was left but it helps with things like if you do need to apply for finance in future, they can see that you've got that discipline there, you, you've that you've paid yourself a set yeah. amount. 
and taking that out of your business for yourself. And I know a lot of people wait. Oh, I'll wait to take a salary when my business is stronger. But there are so many instances to help your business grow that you've got to act as if you're already a big, like six figure or seven figure business. You know, you've got to act as if, because then it's not such a transition when it happens. And it's not such an adjustment when it happens. And it's the same with things like paying for coaches, paying for people to help you, paying for cleaners, paying for a meal service. I've got all those things and I went on board with them all before I felt ready because I knew they would help me grow into like the next version of me. And they are just little things you can do that will help you like upgrade to the next step without... Um, without it being kind of like a massive feeling, you know, like you get to the stage of burnout and no wonder because you're trying to do all the things and keep the house clean and cook the meals and do the food shop and, um, you know, all those kind of add-on bits of life, which not everyone enjoys. If you enjoy it, that, you know, fair enough. If someone said to me, oh, come on, we've got to go walk around the supermarket for an hour with a trolley, I'd be like, no chance. (laughs) What a waste of an hour. I've got way better things to do with that hour of my life. Um, you wouldn't catch me doing it (laughs) and I think efficiency is something that a lot of people underestimate when they start their own business is looking at a task and thinking what's the most efficient way I can do this or even something you're doing and thinking is this an efficient use of my time and use of my attention as well Um, because they're really important assets when you become self-employed yeah and I think it's easy to I don't know about you but when I in sort of my my first I'd say probably my first six months to to the year of of being fully self-employed I was very much like um time is money like I was in that mindset of I need to be making money as much of the time as I can and now I wouldn't say I'm the opposite because obviously I still value my time as much as I can but for me it's now about that balance of like how can I make the most of my time, whether that is I'm making money or whether it is just being present in spending time with my partner, taking the dog for a walk, like FaceTiming my mum for an hour and not clock watching, thinking, oh, my God, like I need to be working and stuff, which I would do before if I was, you know, when I was working freelance and stuff. And I just think it's it's that intentionality, isn't it, of what do you want this life and this business to look like long term? And you've got to do that from the start because you set the standard for yourself from the outset. And if you do that from the beginning, it's so much easier to scale that than if you start out giving everything to everyone from the beginning. It's then really difficult to pair that back and take that time and that energy back when people are used to you giving it all the time. So yeah, it's, I completely agree with you there. It's, it's a really important thing to kind of protect your energy and protect your time and, and every resource that you have. Um, so obviously you primarily work in the wedding industry. There's so many different things that you do in your brand, under your brand, but the main one is your weddings. So yeah. what do you love the most about being in the wedding industry? Um, there's loads that I love about it. I think for me I am even though I probably wouldn't admit it most days but I am a people person in that I love getting to know my couples and getting close to them making friends with them some of them want 
um, some of them need like minimal contact and they're like, you know, they're quite, um, they're busy people, you know, we need this, this and this. Um, we catch up a few times, I'll see you on the day. But other couples, you know, we have like maybe a couple of catch-ups and meetups and things. And um, by the time the wedding day's over and I'm saying goodbye, like I'm getting hugged and, you know, I'm saying I'm having a hug goodbye instead of just a, you know, goodbye. So that's the first thing. And the second I would say is if anyone wants ever what comes to me wanting like something big and showy like some sort of installation or arch or there's an amazing staircase at their venue oh my gosh that gets my heart beating so fast <laughs> um I love working on bigger stuff compared to yeah. you know if someone comes to me and says can I have 15 buttonholes oh to me that is work I just do not enjoy and you're allowed to say that yeah. and you're allowed to not do work that you yeah. don't enjoy so I tend to get one of the other girls to do buttonholes for me because yeah. I it's not the best use of my time um yeah. especially when there is so much prep and organization involved and a lot of installations some of them you build on site on the morning of or they need a lot more time and attention structurally so they're the, the bits I I love the most they get me really yeah. excited about weddings and I like to suggest things to my couples that they maybe haven't seen or heard of before or I'll say oh I've seen this idea I'd love to try it um and that's why we've had things like neon foliage walls and flower curtains that's a that's like a new one at the moment and yeah um yeah like floating clouds and stuff like that so I'm all about bringing that really modern sort of stuff to people's weddings and I guess that's that's what you got into this for like it's that being able to just be creative and being able to just kind of take an idea and run with it, that must be such a rewarding thing to be able to do and to kind of have have those couples who come to you and say, I trust you, I trust your creativity, do what you need to do, just make it look amazing. And you must just be like, yes, yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. can't wait. It is. Just they are take the best. On those projects. Yeah, they are the best couples. And it does always start with me going, right, here are your options or what do you think of this, this and this? And they're like, oh, honestly, I don't know. You know, we'll leave it to you. We trust you. And yeah. I know how overwhelming and stressful it is planning a wedding. And I know how quickly you can just get decision fatigue, especially when all your suppliers are asking you to choose options and make decisions like that. Yeah. So if a couple say we're happy to leave it to you, I'm like, fine. And I do things then like on the day, I'll if bride is close by, I'll say, oh, can you just stick your head in, make sure you're happy? Or I'll say, look, here's a picture of your ceremony room. Are you happy with everything? Um, and I always make sure that they're happy before I leave. And I don't yeah. like to kind of hang around. I know some suppliers like to be in the background on the day when the guests are arriving or during the ceremony. Um, and I like to be gone by then because yeah. um, I'll never look as smart as your guests. You know, to me, I'm like <laughs> a pair of stagehands. And when the play starts, you don't see the stagehands, do you? So that's the way that I see myself. Um, I mean, there are, there are the odd weddings that where I stay to move stuff around and rejig stuff. And that's absolutely fine. Um, and I just make it known that your guests are going to see me. And most people obviously are fine with it. But I just think your when your guests turn up, you want your venue to be 100% ready to go. I don't want them seeing me building stuff and setting stuff up because I just think that's not the way it's meant to be. 
Yeah, it kind of takes away from the magic of it, I suppose, doesn't it? Especially when you are doing those big installations and it's nice to kind of like, sometimes I'll look at your Instagram and the pictures that you've taken. And I'm like, how the hell did she do that? <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, some of the things you create, it's, it is like, wow, it's that architecture, isn't it? It's, it's crazy. And so I guess, yeah, it kind of takes the, the sparkle off of it. If people see you there, like tinkering away with things and, and seeing how it's made. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then I guess on the flip side of that, what do you feel like has been the most challenging thing about building your business in in this industry? Um, I think it's got to be things like whenever you make a change of some sort, like raising your prices, launching something new, opening a shop, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's always an adjustment period afterwards and it feels really sticky and really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and you might see you might find things go quiet or there's a bit of tumbleweeds while it's just like an energetic kind of capture um that's definitely the most difficult part is every time you make a change or a tweak or change direction that sort of period of time that comes after it where you're you know you're waiting for things to just kind of recalibrate on you almost yeah and it is something that every business person goes through, especially like the first time you usually experience it is when you raise your prices and there's that tumbleweed moment and you do lose a lot of your initial clients. I mean, when I was selling bouquets in lockdown, I promise you now, not one of those people, you know, we sold hundreds of bouquets, not one of those people still buys with me now or is still with me now. Yeah. because of the way my business has changed my prices have changed and that's fine because it has brought a whole new wave of people the pool of opportunity is now smaller and it's less work for more money yeah. because of the yeah. sorts of things they want yeah no you're absolutely right and I feel like it's almost a good thing that you have lost those people and kind of shed that earlier audience because you wouldn't want them to be inquiring now because they're not going to be the kind of people that, that are going to have those projects that you want to work on and it can be difficult I always kind of describe it as like the free fall like that feeling in your stomach when you kind of your stomach drops and the rest of you has to catch up it's kind of you have to just wait for your audience and your people to catch up and the right people will always find you so yeah I know exactly what you mean there um and what would you say has been the biggest lesson that you have learned since starting out and since building your business I think the biggest one for me is that you do not have to wait for whatever you're about to launch or talk about or whatever to be perfect. You are better to just get it out there, build it as you fly, make tweaks as you go and don't worry about it being not perfect because people firstly won't notice and secondly the time delay in you waiting for it to be perfect can be really really damaging it can really set you back um so that's the biggest thing I've learned and thankfully I've never been much of a perfectionist (laughs) so (laughs) I've done things like launched workshops with no location because people the demand is there and people are asking for it um I've sold products not knowing what fully what the content's going to be when I do online masterclasses I just pick the subject okay we're going to do it about pricing and then I come up with the content a few days before yeah and that's I know how I work best and but it is more reacting to if you see a demand for something 
react to it and don't yeah. don't build it first don't don't build that you know that presentation first and make every slide perfect and then go oh I can put this on my website now so yeah. people can access it do it the other way around because honestly waiting for something to become perfect or get to that level of perfection like what you would class as perfection it just it is what will make you know one year's growth stretch out over three years yeah and you'll just grow so so much slower yeah and I think the reality is as well it's never going to be perfect there's always going to be things that you can change there's always going to be things you can tweak you know you could look at something that you felt was perfect six weeks ago but everything you've learned and everything you've experienced since that point has then made you think actually I'm going to tweak that and I'm going to change that in line with how you now feel and imagine you'd waited that six weeks you know that six weeks of opportunities that you've then denied yourself so yeah I completely agree I think it's easier said than done especially for those who are more perfectionist than than um people who are just kind of action takers but yeah I would completely agree and it's funny I actually recorded a podcast episode the other day about um how perfectionism stopped me from building this business two years earlier than I did um and honestly like I would never change how how that journey has evolved but I will always think like well, I wonder what what would have happened if I had done it two years before and where would I have been and what would I have experienced and stuff and I think that's for me especially and I know you're the same like that questioning and asking yourself what if is the worst thing like just do it and then do almost like deal with it afterwards you know That's like it, just yeah. deal with the consequences afterwards because at least then you know at least you've done it and you know and there's no That's questioning it. yeah so, yeah I completely agree um so then my final question to you is what advice would you give to someone just starting out or struggling with building their brand building their business and kind of struggling with the whole the whole shebang that is building a brand Oh, um, I feel like this is something I kind of address a lot in the business club that I've got for kind of yeah. newbie florists or people who want to take the leap and start calling themselves a florist. Starting is the hardest part. And then immediately after that is also really difficult when you think no one's seeing you and you're growing an audience. And I think people, the biggest I think the, the biggest thing to kind of get into when you first launch your business is not worrying about the time it takes to, you know, build a decent audience and keep showing up every day as if you do have a massive audience. And that's what I did day one. I went yeah. on Instagram stories every day as if I had 10,000 followers, but I didn't. I had hundreds. My Instagram account was inactive before lockdown. So um we all had so much spare time I would document everything big and small and don't be afraid to get personal and show them you know the inside of your house and stuff like that yeah. um and find where your comfort levels are and they do stretch and grow over time so um the other thing I would say is before you even launch is to have a think about your ideal client I know so many people who skip this step and then they're trying to sell to anyone and everyone who will buy from them and you can tell they're confused even just by their logo and their branding 
because so many people underestimate what an important foundation that is to draw in the right client to you. Yeah. And sometimes they're a total mismatch from like, you know, the their business name, you know, their business name will be all like country garden and then their logos in black and white. And it just, yeah. it, it's a total mismatch. So branding and ideal client is something to sit down and think about on day one, because yeah. once you nail that, it'll attract the right people. And then the next thing I'd say is, I'm thinking about one of my business club members here in particular. She's really quirky. She um, keeps bees, she harvests their honey, she grows flowers that they collect pollen from. She is just like mother earth, mother nature. She's a real like steward of the earth. She loves, you know, taking you on a tour around her garden, showing you ear cuttings and all this sort of stuff. But I know that she's really afraid to kind of lean in and show people her full personality because she thinks people will think she's a bit weird. And I was like, everyone's weird in their own way. And the sooner <laughs> yeah. you show people your weirdness, the quicker you will attract your ideal client and they will yeah. start buying from you. People can tell if you hold back, especially on socials. People can tell if you're trying to be conservative or not show your face or yeah. you don't want to reveal a lot of what your personal life is like, which to a certain extent, I mean, everyone's got their limits um, of what they want to show and not show. But she's just like, oh, I just worry so much that people will think, well, we are, I, I'm weird. And, and I'm like, so what if they do? You know, yeah. it doesn't. in the grand scheme of things, it will only move you forward to show, you know, to really lean into your edge um you know because when I asked her what do you do differently about your business she gave me the technical I've I keep bees I grow flowers the flowers you yeah. know bees pollinate the flowers that I collect honey it's a whole cycle and I was like okay that's nice but that's like the elevator pitch I was like yeah. give me the emotional version of that and she's like I can't and I was like well I can because I can see it um you know you you've got this massive garden you love nature you love cuttings you're literally a steward of the earth and you know she loves when the weather is bad and she loves um showing you just showing you what mother nature is capable of mm. and she you can tell how excited that makes her and I was like you need to show people more of that side of your Definitely. business yeah because that's what will get them buying from you and not the elevator pitch yeah and the reality is like with that particular client as well it sounds like people who are going to respect that are the ones that are going to buy from her like people are going to connect with that and I think that's such an important lesson and and such a good example thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people will probably relate to that and kind of think like I know for for definite when I first started this brand I I don't know if you remember my branding was like coral pink and like that's not me <laughs> that is not anyone who knows me will know that's the opposite of me and I didn't follow my own advice like I didn't I didn't do that that initial step I didn't do that you know I thought about what my clients would be attracted to instead of what actually spoke to me as a person and me as a coach and and me as a human being um and actually when I started to embrace that and I did kind of move into like the monochrome and the you know the the not so great language and all of that kind of stuff <laughs> it was like actually it attracted people who understood that we're not perfect and it's not gonna you know if you're on a call with me you're probably gonna hear my dog barking in the background I'm probably gonna have to go and answer the door because there's another Amazon parcel turning up like <laughs> you know that's life and I think actually when I moved into that and embraced that 
the clients that came into my world were a whole nother level because you connect with them on another level. And yeah, I think I, I would definitely agree with you on that lady. I think she really needs to just embrace the weirdness and people will embrace it too. Her people will come along and she, she will find them as well. So definitely. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing that. Honestly, I feel like it's been such a good chat and I know everyone listening is going to find it super helpful. Um, so as I said, there's so many different things that you're doing at the moment. So where can people <laughs> find you? I can drop all the links in the in the show notes, but just tell us where can people find you for all the stuff that you've got to offer? Uh, well, Instagram is mainly where I hang out. Um, my main account is, is Lush Blooms Bespoke Floristry, all one word. And I've also got a DIY wedding flower service that's called Lush by You. Um, I've just recently launched Cardiff Flower School as well, which now that we've got like a permanent space down Good Sheds, that's where all those classes and stuff take place. Um, I am on Facebook as well under the same name, but Instagram is mainly where I hang out and the website too, if you want to know a bit more about the business club or come into some classes in future or any of the online masterclasses as well, because they're all on there. Perfect. Cool. Well, thank you, lovely. And um, thank you so much for your time. Honestly, it's been such a good chat. Yeah, thanks for having me.